Will you pray with me? Uh, Father in heaven, as we come now to uh, look into your word together, uh, Lord, I pray that you would just capture our hearts and our minds with your truth. Help us understand what we what you want us to understand today and believe what you want us to believe and do what you want us to do. Pray that you would be at work here in our midst right now in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to take it and open to the book of Matthew, first book of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 1. Today is the fourth Sunday of Advent of the Christmas season, and obviously the last Sunday before Christmas, and we're wrapping up our series called Messiah, Christ, where we get the word Christmas, and whose birth is the whole reason for the holiday. This morning we're going to be thinking about names. Every name has a story behind it. Some of them might be fairly simple, or they might be fairly involved. Uh, In our culture, we pretty much give names, choose names because we like them. We like the sound of them, or maybe to uh, honor a relative or someone we admire. Do you know the story behind your name? Do you know why your parents gave you the name that they gave you? I, I heard the story about my name. Um long time ago, I remember my mom telling me that she named me Scott. That was her second choice. <laughs> and the reason she gave me her second choice name was because when the time came to name me, she forgot her first choice. She couldn't remember it. <laughs> and later on, she remembered, but by then it was too late. And... When she told me what her first choice had been, um, I was really glad she had forgotten. (laughs) Very, very glad. Um, If you'd like to try to guess it, you could put that on your connect card or connection sheet that we'll be turning in later. I'll give you one hint. It starts with S, and if you get it right, I'll buy you a $10 Starbucks gift card or something. But but that's all the help you're getting. Um, Yeah. So every, every name's got a story. I don't know if you know the story behind your name. Do you know why God gave his son the name that he did? kind of sounds like a trivia question, you know, Bible trivia. Um, it's, it's really not trivial because God gave his son the name he did for some very important reasons. Uh, usually, learning someone's name means we just kind of learn the label you know, for addressing them. Um, But learning Messiah's name, names, we're actually going to be looking at a couple of them today, that really has the potential to make a difference in your life. In fact, it, it actually has the potential to change your life. True story. So, um... We're going to be looking here in in the book of Matthew, uh, chapter 1, picking it up at verse 18 down through verse 23 as we focus in on Messiah's 
names. I say names because you're going to see uh, that there's more than one of them. We want to take a look here. So, Matthew 1, beginning at verse 18. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So you probably noticed there are two names given here. Jesus and Emmanuel, and you might have wondered, well, how do these verses fit together? Um, If Joseph was supposed to call his name Jesus, how does that fulfill a prophecy that says they will call his name Emmanuel? You know, what's up with two names? Well, actually, it turns out that he has many names. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, it's another prophecy of Messiah. It says, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So something we need to understand about names in the Bible is that very often what are called names are what we would refer to as titles. Um something that tells us about who the person is and, and maybe what they do, rather than just serve as a label for addressing them. So just like me, you know, my, my name is Scott. That doesn't really tell you anything about me. Maybe that I'm a guy. Um, but I also have these titles. Husband. Father. Pastor. And those are names in the biblical sense, that they tell you something about me. They tell you something about who I am and what I do. And the same is true for you. You have a name, you have a label, but biblically speaking, you probably have other names. You have titles, you have uh, things that explain something about you. As you go through the Bible, you find that Jesus has many names, many titles, like Messiah or Christ. Uh, That's not his last name. It's a title, meaning God's anointed king, God's chosen ruler, the one chosen to rescue and rule over us. And he has others, many other names. Son of God, Son of Man, Lamb of God, Good Shepherd, Light of the World, Bread of Life, Word of God, King of Kings, and Lord of Lords. And all of those names, all of those titles refer to the same person, which, you know, begins to tell you how amazing he really is. 
And here in the account of his birth in Matthew, the focus is on two names in particular, Jesus and Emmanuel. Well, Jesus obviously was his legal name. That was his label. Uh, Emmanuel is one of his many titles. And did you notice that both of those names are explained here? Both names are explained. Matthew, the author of this gospel, wants us to know what these names mean. Why? So we can understand why he was born. Think about this. God wants you to know that. God wants you to know what his son's names mean. He wants you to know the reason why Jesus was born. He wants you to know what difference that makes for you and for me. God wants you to know this. So let's, let's take a careful look here at these names. What should you think of when you hear these names? Now let's think about the first one. Jesus. When you hear Jesus, think of what he came to save you from. Think of what he came to save you from. The angel said, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, Jesus, that's our English language way of pronouncing the Hebrew name Yeshua, which comes from two Hebrew words. The first part, that's the short form of God's covenant name, Yahweh. You may have heard it. We actually say it every time we say the word hallelujah. Give praise to Yah, Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the creator of the universe. So you've got Yah, and then you've got Shua, which is a form of the Hebrew verb meaning to rescue or to deliver or to save. So when you put it all together, Yeshua or Jesus means Yahweh, the Lord, the one true God, saves. He delivers. That's why it says you should call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So the very essence of his name has to do with rescuing, with delivering, with saving people. It's kind of like if you knew somebody named Lifeguard. And every time you said their name, you thought of the fact that, hey, Lifeguard, they save people. It's kind of the idea here, maybe 911. I don't know if somebody would be named that, but you'd think of that saving, that rescuing idea. Jesus was born to be a rescuer. But what does he rescue people from? Well, the angel answers that question. He will save his people from their sins. From their sins. Now, I don't know what you think of when you hear that. Uh, I don't know what comes to mind when you think of being saved from sin. I do know that the idea of sin does not carry a lot of weight in our society today. Um, Sins are thought of just sort of like the little mistakes we all make because we're imperfect. 
you know, we're only human, so we make mistakes. Or, or we think of sins as uh, things that are really fun, but they're kind of naughty. You know, they're just, they're, God doesn't like them. You know, I don't know, God's kind of grumpy. And he's got this list of no-nos, of things that we're supposed to avoid because they're, they're too enjoyable or they're too fun or they're too something. That is such a lie. That is such a lie. Do you, you want to know what the truth is? Look at 1 Timothy 6.17. It says, God richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. You see that? Fun, pleasure, laughter. These things don't exist because of sin. They didn't come from sin. They exist because God made them. Things that are good, things that are pleasurable, things that are fun, things that are exciting, these things only become sinful when they're misused for selfish reasons, for unloving reasons. There is no goodness in sin. Drives me crazy when I hear something good described as sinful. Oh, that dessert is sinfully delicious. That's ridiculous. Who gave us taste buds? God did. Deliciousness is not a sin. Okay, now, if you have a problem with eating too much, yes. You know, you misuse the gift, it becomes a sin. Or lots of things are like that. We just don't think of sin as what it really is. We just don't think of it as the awful thing that it is. So, so then when we hear, well, Jesus came to save us from our sins, it, it just doesn't feel that significant to us. We just don't feel the weight of that. We don't, we don't think of it as the amazingly wonderful thing that it really is. So I think we should think about that. We should try to capture that a little bit. Let's think for a minute about what not being saved from sin leads to. Okay, this is what Jesus came to rescue us from. The Bible word for it is Gehenna or as we call it, hell. And Jesus described it in very stark terms. He described it as an eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. He called it being thrown into outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. He said hell was a place where the worms that feed on corpses never die and the fire is never quenched. I didn't say it. I didn't make it up. This was not made up by angry theologians. Jesus said it. Jesus, loving, compassionate, merciful Jesus. Now, people will sometimes say, well, wait. Wait a minute, isn't that language symbolic? Because after all, if hell were really ablaze with literal fire, it wouldn't be dark. So, so isn't it symbolic? Okay. All right, let's say it's symbolic. Let's say that the darkness and the fire and the worms and the weeping, those are symbols. What are they symbols of? 
what is the reality that Jesus is describing with such horrible, detestable symbols? Or to ask it another way, what is it that makes hell such a terrible experience that the Son of God, the loving, compassionate, merciful Son of God, would use this kind of language to describe it? We'll take a look at 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 through 9, and you can see the answer for yourself. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God. This is not an ignorant, an innocent ignorance. This is a willful ignorance of God. And who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power. Shut out from the presence of the Lord. What makes hell, hell, is the utter absence of the presence of God. And there is not one person on this planet who knows how bad that really is. Nobody knows how bad that is. Because even people who don't want God in their lives, people don't want anything to do with God and they stay as far away from Him as they can, even they are surrounded daily by God's goodness. And they don't know what life would be like without it. We don't know. know, Jesus said in Matthew 5.45, God causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good, and He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. We all experience just God's blessing and goodness every day. Even amidst all the the ugliness and, and terrible stuff that's happening, God's goodness comes to us. And we don't know what life would be like it. Look at Acts 17, 25. It says that God gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Everything. So we can live here in the in this Pacific Northwest, and we can enjoy this stunning beauty, and we can have food in the fridge, and we can enjoy the love of family and giggling babies and warm sunny days in the summer and chocolate chip cookies and parties with friends and good health and all the benefits that come from living in a free, prosperous nation We can enjoy all that and every good thing only because of God. Without Him, there is nothing good. Nothing. Only misery. That's what sin inevitably leads to. It always brings about misery, eventually. The absence of everything good. That's what sin leads to. You might think, well, why? Why does sin have to have such drastic consequences? Well, think about it. Sin, at its very root, is the rejection of God. That's what it is. That's that's at the root of every sin, the rejection of God. Sin is saying no to God, no to His ways, no to His leadership, no to His guidance, no to His rules. 
No to his presence. No to his standards. Sin is basically raising a fist in God's face and saying, I don't want you telling me what to do. I don't want you telling me what's good and what's not. I want to decide that. I've got a better way than you've got, so you, God, just stay out of my life. Every time we sin, we live as if God does not exist. So you know what hell is? Hell is God giving us exactly that. That's why it's fair. That's why it's fair. Do you want... Do we want life without God? That's hell. Life without God forever. And we don't know how bad that is. We don't know how bad that is. That's why Jesus used such terrifying symbols to try to explain it to us. And that's what Jesus came to rescue us from. That's why this is good news. That's why this is awesome. He came to take upon himself the justice of God. And if you remember, when Jesus was on the cross, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in some way I can't even begin to comprehend, he experienced the absence of the presence of God. For us, he took upon himself the justice of God so that we would never have to experience it. Ever. 1 Peter 2.24, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. God's presence. Jesus said in John 6.37, Whoever comes to me. Now, do you hear the openness of that word? Whoever. It's an invitation. Come. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. We come to Jesus, we say yes to Jesus, our sins are gone. And God will never shut us out from his presence. We will never be excluded. You know what it's like to feel excluded. But in Jesus, you're never excluded from God. You're never rejected, never separated, never punished, ever, ever. That's what the name of Jesus means. That's what his name means. And every time we hear it, we should think of it. We should think of what he came to save us from. And we should just be amazed. We should be amazed. Now we're in a position to understand and appreciate his other name that's here. Emmanuel. When you hear Emmanuel... Think of what he came to save you for. Think of what he came to save you for. The name Emmanuel means God with us. God with us. And this is the whole reason for being saved from our sins. See, being forgiven is not an end in itself, as if simply being forgiven is what you know, brings about true happiness. No, being forgiven is necessary because it's a barrier. Sins are a barrier to true happiness. True happiness comes when God is with us. 
See, our sins are a barrier because they've disconnected us from God, who is the source of all happiness. And we were made to be connected with him. So if being without God is what makes hell hell, being with God is what makes heaven heaven. You know, some people often wonder, well, what will heaven be like? And the Bible describes it in a lot of amazing ways. And we're told about the new heavens and the new earth and how utterly awesome it's going to be. And I look around at the present earth and I think it's pretty cool and I think it's pretty beautiful. And yet it's fallen, it's broken, it's messed up. And there's natural disasters and all this stuff. New heavens and new earth. But that's not really what makes heaven heaven. What makes heaven heaven is, is the manifestation, the experience of the very presence of God. God with us. And see, just as nobody knows how bad it is to be utterly without God, nobody knows how good it is to be utterly with God. But we will if we put our trust in Emmanuel. See, this is what God has had in mind all along. You go back to the very beginning of the Bible and you see God creating man and woman and you see Him being with them, but they rebelled. And they went from being with God, experiencing and enjoying His presence, to being without God and being excluded from His presence, at least to a degree, but There again, God did not completely remove all of his goodness. But the human race at that point began to taste, just taste the misery of what it means to be without God. But you know, even that was part of God's plan. That was part of God's plan to allow us to see the difference between life with God and life without God. God made a way. God made a way to give sinful humanity a taste of his presence, of life with him. God chose Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all of their descendants, and he revealed to them his ways to show them his goodness. And God created a place where his presence would dwell among them. We call it the temple but it was always at a distance. See, there was, this, there was this thick, heavy curtain which separated people from the place where God's presence was manifested. The most holy place, or the holy of holies. Have you heard of that? The most holy place where God's presence was manifested, but there was a curtain, there was a veil, a barrier, because sin was still in the way. Until Jesus came. And Jesus did what it says in 1 Peter 3.18. Look at it. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous. Why? To bring you to God. That's the point. To bring you to God. When Jesus took that punishment we deserve, the curtain in the temple was torn in two. And now as it says in Hebrews ten nineteen, we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. The most holy place. That is the very presence of God and one day one day when Emmanuel fulfills his promise to come again to make right every wrong then God's plan will reach its final goal 
Revelation 21.3, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be, look at it, with them and be their God. I, I can't fathom it. I, I can't fathom it. I can't, I can't wrap my mind around it. This is so much bigger. This is so much greater. This is so much more amazing than I can grasp. You know, it's so easy to reduce Christmas down. It's so easy to just shrink Jesus and salvation down to something small that we just kind of add on to our busy lives. Like it's really not that big of a deal. When in reality, if we know what Christmas really means, if we know who this Messiah really is, that He's the one who saves us from life without God, He's the one who gives us life with God, if we really realize what He came to do for us, who He is, it's stunning. It's just stunning. It's it's overwhelming. Jesus is not an optional accessory to life. You know, things go better with Jesus. No. He's really what life is all about. And life, when we put our trust in Jesus and Emmanuel, begins then a process of learning to live that out. And what it means to live knowing Jesus, God with us, Emmanuel. Do you see why I said that that knowing Messiah's names has a potential to change your life? It really does. I mean, because Jesus means he's the only one who can save us from life without God, and Emmanuel means he's the only one who can give us life with God. Jesus has come. Emmanuel has come. And now we have a choice. Life without God and life or life with God. That's the choice. And maybe you've already made that choice. I know many of you have. And so you can respond to him with amazement. You can think about the significance of these, his names, you know, Jesus, what he came to save me from, Emmanuel, what he came to save me for, and you can just respond with, with gratitude, with thanks. Or maybe you're here today and you're still, you'd say, well, you know, I haven't made that choice. I'm still kind of working on it. Okay, that's fair. I would just say, don't put it off. All right, if, if you're working on it, work on it. Don't kid yourself that you're working on it if you're not working on it. Okay, if you've got questions, ask them. Ask them. You know, I don't claim to have all the answers, but I can probably help point you to some answers. So if you'd like to talk to me, I'd love to. You'd send me an email or just grab me afterwards and talk. Or talk to somebody. But if you've got questions, ask them. If you, if you need information, get it. Seek the answers and work toward coming to a decision. Because, see, at some point, not choosing becomes a choice. Or maybe for today, for you, today, the day's to choose. This is the day to choose. To embrace Him, to trust Him. 
to receive him, to ask him to save you from life without God and give you life with God. And if you're here today and you're ready to make that choice, I would just encourage you when we pray here in a minute, you ask him. That's what he came to do. He came to save you from life without God and give you life with God. And if you want life with God, ask him. Let's pray. Let's bow together. And I'll give you a quiet moment, and then I will pray. And you can either thank him for saving you from life without God and giving you life with God. You can ask him to help you make the choice, or you can just ask him to do it for you. Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Take a minute and pray quietly. You, And I will pray in a minute. Lord Jesus, I just, when I think about this, it's just so big, it's so amazing. And I confess it's just easy to kind of go through life and not feel the weight of it. But Lord, as we come to the celebration of your birth, help us feel the significance of what you came to do. Help us understand what sin really is and why you came to save us from it. And help us understand what you're offering us, life with God, and how that should be the treasure above all treasures for us. Because that's what we're longing for, Lord, and we don't even know it sometimes. We're longing for contentment. We're longing for joy. We're longing for relief and peace. And what we're really longing for is you. And Lord, we long for you to come again as you promised so that we will finally experience the fullness of what it means for you to be with us. And so we ask you to come, Lord Jesus, and be glorified. Lord, we thank you for all you have done and for who you are in your name. Amen.